All right, by now, guys, you know I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back or one day we want to upgrade the hardwood floors or remodel the kitchen or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. SaveWithConrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. ConradReviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know you can do better. With the mortgage though, you may not know this, the interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you can get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments. Buddy, this is the biggest no brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or hey man, shoot me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. Hey guys. It's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here, and I need to call a quick timeout, a brief timeout, because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley is Pod listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. Adfree Shows gives you early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts, including The Snake Pit with Jake Roberts. This week, the snake welcomed the devil himself, Kevin Sullivan, to the program. I'm ready to go out, and I see Ming coming back, and all of a sudden, they threw a cinder block and hit him on the shoulder from the roof. He dropped to a knee, but he just shook it off and came in. If they had hit him in the head, it would kill them. David Crockett joins Conrad for an all-new edition of The Book as they go day by day through February 1985 with the help of Jim Crockett's original booking laws. And what a pivotal month it was 
as WrestleMania 1 is right around the corner and Jim Crockett Promotions is running in Vince's own backyard. In that area, knew him, knew his reputation. It's a working class audience. Uh, they like the style of our wrestling and you put Dusty and Backlund together, they're, you know, opposites, but they attract and, and they make it work. This month marks the 35-year anniversary of one of the most memorable angles in wrestling history, the famous twin referee angle on the main event. And Ad-Free Shows members got to watch it back live alongside Earl Hebner on our latest premium watch-along event. I got to dress, I got to use uh, Andre's dressing room after all this happened. And uh, Andre just loved me. I mean, he just wanted me basically always be his ref. And Hogan loved me to death. That's just a small taste, a sampling, if you will, of what we have waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, four. See for yourself why ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now, right now, at adfreeshows.com. Yeah. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the hardcore legend, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Uh, my only regret is that the last time I was here, we talked about the Foley weight loss challenge, and uh, I forgot to get a scale. So we will have to push that back. I would say I, I could go out tonight. In the interest of full disclosure, we're recording two episodes today. Yes. One tomorrow. I don't think the fans mind, right? I think they appreciate that I come into the studio. I, I can get a scale to here tomorrow. No problem. Can you really have yeah, that? Absolutely. Big guy scale for us? Big guy scale. Okay. We'll be ready. All right. Um, because you got the word to me that uh, the employees were leaving because of the weather, so I saw your dad outside just a minute ago. What's up with the weather? He goes, they're expecting a tornado. I was like... Did not know that. So uh, I just thought there was no chance that Mick Foley, who I've known to drive through blizzards, <coughs> yeah. was going to be deterred with no, a little circle wind. Tornado, no. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah. Talking hardcore legend here. It was funny because um, everybody was like, hey, are you in the basement? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm at the office recording podcasts. And I'm like, why are you doing that? I can't tell Mick Foley, the hardcore legend, that we're canceling for wind and rain. Could. Do you think Whataburger will remain open? They will for you. Okay, all right. I mean, around here, they're 24-7. I know. I don't even great? know why they have locks on the doors. Well, I, you know, I went up to one, and they were locking it up. At well, that's before it was open. No, I said, hey, I thought you were open 24 hours. And the guy looked at me and said, not in a row. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Stephen Wright joke from, like, 1981. It still works. It still works, it still right? Works. Not in a row. Like, why does Waffle House have locks? They're open on Christmas. Yeah, it's incredible, right? I don't know. A crime, maybe? Uh, it was crazy during the pandemic when you'd go to a Waffle House. and you know, I mean, understandable that yes, you had to yes. do takeout orders, but there were a few that weren't open. Yeah. Tim Hortons, even before the pandemic, uh, was, was closing up shop. In Canada, it's tough for people to do those midnight. Anyway, we're getting way off track. You we know, are. it's understood that I love Whataburger. I love helping out a buddy. Here's uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't want to go into uh, overdrive here, but he could use some help. And this is my way of helping out a good Is he friend. Black Adam on that one again? He is Black Adam on there. Hey, we're back. It's a rematch. It's a rerun. <laughs> it's the return. 
we uh, we're going to start the show today before we get into our topic, which is going to be fun talking about a baby face cactus yeah. jack. But before we do, we've got some pretty sad news to talk about. Yeah. We lost the last great territory promoter, Mr. Jerry Jarrett, passed away at uh, just eighty years old earlier this week. Man, what a what a footprint he left on wrestling. He sure did. And uh, again, in the interest of full disclosure, I reached or you reached out to me. And let me know that the gentleman whose photo was on my post was, was not Jerry Jarrett. <laughs> I was panicking what happened. Casey Hopkins is my assistant. Great he does guy. an incredible job. Yes. And the it, genius behind the Mr. in Your House Mr. video. Mr. in Your House. So many great things he, we've enjoyed. Yeah, edited the together the, uh, uh, the Undertaker, yes. Sir, a man on the street in Pittsburgh Airport. He's really great. In this case, I sent through like a collage of Jerry Jarrett photos, but it wasn't a particularly high quality. So he went Googling and the same photo kept coming up. It was Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, and the gentleman in the middle, it was identified time and again as Jerry Jarrett. Jerry Jarrett was actually Lance Russell. Right. And I was panicking because that was so, I felt disrespectful to Jerry. We got it smoothed over. We reposted the next day, but I just want people to know it was just one of those things. And if you look for Jerry Jarrett, actually the first thing that comes up is a photo of Jerry Lawler because they worked together so uh, for so many years uh, so well together. Hey, look, Jerry gave me my first full-time job, which was in Memphis. Within a few days of being mentioned, uh, by uh, maybe I'd been mentioned a time or two before in The Observer, but this was like a really strong plug. Right. Um, I think I was consider- said some people consider considered to be the best no-name independent wrestler out there. And I got an offer for three jobs. Um, one in Kansas City, uh, where Eddie Gilbert, I don't know if Eddie was going to be booking or if it was Tommy booking, one with uh, the, the Spoldies wasn't really a full-time job. Right. And then there was the Jarrett's. And I just thought the Jarrett's have the best track record. Sure. My friend Brian Hildebrand, who we've talked about before, yeah. uh, he was known better as Mark Curtis for to WCW fans. He just loved Memphis wrestling. You know, he just loved everything about it. The studio, the feel, the live takes and all that. And uh, I thought that'd be the best decision. And uh, it was, you know, we've gone into, I mean, I'm, I'm not here to talk about my trials and tribulations in that territory as much as I am to just say how thankful I am that yeah. Jerry Jarrett hired me and over the years uh, not only hired me in Memphis, but even more importantly, I think, uh, when he purchased uh, 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 the, the world-class class. territory from Fritz von Erich, that opened up the door for me to go there that and world class was where I received so much positive attention, yes. caught the eye of people, and I don't know if any of that would have been uh, available to me had it not been for Jerry, not only buying the territory but thinking enough of me and gorgeous Gary Young to bring us down there as a tag team. So he's a guy who not only has an, left an enormous footprint on wrestling, but on a personal note. When the last time I saw him at the Top Guys weekend, he pulled me aside and he said some of the kindest words to me. He really did. He's a great man. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad. I know he and Jeff had had a falling out, you know, over business. And that was long since smoothed over. Luckily, because you only get one chance to spend time with those grandchildren. Uh, 
And so I feel really privileged to have known him. He talked to me for over an hour, I think, uh, when um, TNA was becoming uh, a reality. Okay. And this was after 9-11, and he said that studies had shown, I can't point to which studies, that uh, people were willing after 9-11 to spend a little more on things that made them happy or made them comfortable. So people, for example, might opt for the regular ice cream as opposed to the uh, the low-fat versions. or so. You know, that's just right. one example. And he believed that people would pay nine nine ninety nine or whatever the price was right. uh, per week to watch good wrestling without um, without commercials. Now you can debate whether that not that proved to be the case, but you can't debate that TNA was a solid uh, alternative and, and got so many people their start. You know, we could tie Dixie Carter in along with that, but between Jeff and Jerry and Di Jeff and <laughs> Jeff and Jerry um, and Dixie, man, did they put a lot of people on the path to stardom. So nothing but respect for Jerry. Uh, my deepest condolences go out to Jeff. Uh, you know, Jeff and I cont uh, uh, texted back and forth because Jeff and I are about the same age. I think right. we're maybe three, four months apart. And we kind of grew up, you know, uh, with each other, yes. In every, I mean, every every territory except uh, uh, continental, I think Jeff was in. So we crossed paths so many times, and that was when I was twenty three. Right. So I've known Jeff for thirty four years, and therefore known Jer Jerry for thirty four years. So just sending out all my best to a true wrestling pioneer. Now, when I would look at Jerry's old promo photos. <clears throat> how in the world did this guy get over? Right. But guys like Robert Fuller would say he just had that fire. He had that fire to the point where his lack of physique worked for him because he was such an underdog. He was a good-looking young man. He would fight up from underneath. Memphis was known as a, a great heel factory. You know, they always had the heels coming in and out. You had to on a weekly basis. So yeah. I never saw Jerry... Uh, Jarrett in the ring, never saw him on tape, but man, I guess he made quite an impression on the people who did know him. Absolutely. Uh, Jerry Lawler wrote in his book that he was like a rock star. You know, he was the good looking baby face that got all the ladies to come to the show and, you know, innovated the scaffold match. And I mean, just a who's who of folks who came through yourself, The Undertaker, Austin, The Rock. I mean, it's unbelievable yeah. the amount of folks who went through Memphis from Hogan and Savage right. and, I mean, on down the line. I think, <clears throat> I believe I was only at Jerry's house one time. The big house? The big house. And have you been there? I have not. He didn't, he didn't live in the big house. Okay. Yeah. In, but wherever I was in his office, he had an original Lawler piece of artwork. Mm. And it was Jerry, it was Jackie Fargo, and it was Tojo Yamamoto who Jerry was so loyal to yes. over the years. I mean, well past the point where, you know, to Tojo, you know, he was down on his luck and Jerry kept him around, kept him employed and uh, was really loyal to his friends. So thank you, Jerry, Jared, for everything you did. Uh, I think there's hundreds of wrestlers, uh, past tense, you know, who are thankful for what Jerry did for their career. Well said. Uh, may he rest in peace. And obviously our thoughts and prayers with uh, his family, Miss Deborah and Jeff and Karen and the rest of the Jarrett clan. And let's talk about some happier times, man. As you and I are recording this, we're, uh, 
we're just uh, a day away or two days away, I guess. But uh, as folks are listening, we're one day away from Elimination Chamber. And oh, it's yeah. in Montreal, Sami Zayn's hometown. He's got a shot at our tribal chief who just passed 900 days as the champion. This past week on Raw, we saw Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn in the ring together. And uh, a lot of people are curious, is the WrestleMania match going to be a three-way dance? Is Sammy going to be successful this weekend? What do you see happening in Montreal? Can we just first, you know, just <clears throat> acknowledge the epic nature of Sammy's beard? It's, it's fantastic. It's strong. Beard game is strong. Yeah. I saw that promo. It was an excellent promo. I mean, the idea, like, I don't know. I think I got, like, ultimate babyface promo. Yes. As soon as it was over, I just thought to myself, imagine that pop in Montreal. Unbelievable. Imagine that pop. Oh, it's going to be incredible. And uh, this goes back to what we said a couple weeks ago about just hoping WWE does the right thing with Sammy. Now, I, I don't know if a three-way, a three-way dance, it's been proven time and time again, can be a great WrestleMania main event as long as it's the match that people want to see. Right. So, you know, I, I'll argue, for example, that a couple years ago, Becky and Ronda was a singles match that people wanted to see. And it wasn't hurt because Charlotte was in it. It just took the match people really wanted to see and gave them a close second best. Yes. And when you're trying to achieve legendary status on the grandest stage of them all, that can be the difference maker. So in this case, I want to see how things evolve. If they, I mean, let's see what happens in Montreal. You know, I mean, the time could be right for a second Montreal screw job. Just putting it out there, right? I was wondering, you know, I assume that ovation he's going to get is going to feel like CM Punk when he wrestled Cena in Chicago mm -hmm. several years ago. But just maybe even more so because there's that sense of Canadian pride. There you go. That CM Punk can be a a uh, local hero. Yes. You know, in Chicago and a national hero, hero. But in saying. in yeah, in Canada you can be a national. Bret Hart was a national yes. hero. I'll say that um oh man, it's going to Kawhi Leonard, he should have stayed in Toronto just because you're a national hero. Yeah. And but he's from LA and he made that move. But I don't know if people realize how rare that is to actually have a whole country behind you. My dad's Best man, this is a little known fact, he was the uh, men's Canadian basketball coach, their national coach. Wow. Jack Donahue, people can look it up. He coached uh, Lou Alcindor, became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wow. in the NBA, and he was nationally known. It wasn't like, it's different than it is in the States. Yes. So I think the reaction, not putting down the, the pop that Punk received, because right. that was phenomenal, bordering on Road Warrior-esque. But, uh, man, this is one of those things where I wish I could be there. I, right. I might take that road trip, Conrad. I might do it. Well, I'm going to be glued to the TV. I have I a passport to ready to travel. Um, if, if Foley's booking it, would he do uh, a dusty finish? Would he book the Usos against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn? Would he have Jay stick with the bloodline and Kevin Owens makes the save to a huge pop? What, what I'm afraid do? that if I... Put my opinion out there too much, other than I did with the Montreal screw job, because I do have a voice. Yes, I don't want to put WWE in a position where they okay. are doing something counter to what's in the best interest simply because I said they I should. Got you. 
So I want I want to be surprised like everybody else, uh, and I think they have two months to tell that story if they do decide to go with a three-way. But Sammy's just so valuable to that company. It's insane that an average-looking guy with an incredibly strong beard game who has had to work incredibly hard just to get the body he has. Uh, if you need further proof, look at when uh, Sammy, when he was El Generico. That's his natural physique. What you see today is the result of years of hard work just to look incredibly average. But, uh, right? Bill's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> genetic, genetic hand, that's a strong, that's that a strong man. Yeah, and uh, Sammy's had to work incredibly hard to look Incredibly average. Incredibly average. Yeah. yeah, it goes back to when my son Mickey saw me, you know, rare moment. It was like 2 a.m., so I take the shirt off for the selfie back when I was dropping that weight. And he sees me and goes, I put my shirt. He goes, Dad, no, Dad, you look, you look really good. I go, you really? He goes, yeah, you do. He goes, you keep working hard. You could look almost as good as Bo Dallas. Oh, that's fantastic. So if I keep working really hard, I can not that I will, but I might be able to look like the guy with the worst physique in WWE <laughs> if I'm willing to work hard. So I know a little something about genetic hands. Uh, but sometimes they force you to bring out the best in yourself yes. because you don't have that physique to rely on. I can't wait to see what happens. It's going to be a heck of a show. And, of course, we think that Sami Zayn is the ultimate babyface. And today we're going to be talking about another babyface, Ron. <sighs> When Cactus Jack turned babyface in WCW, and of course it's the end of Bill Watts and Jim Ross in WCW around the same time, it all starts in Montgomery, Alabama. You take on Mr. Wonderful Paul oh, yeah. Orndorff with Harley Race at ringside. He's sort of serving as a scout of sorts. Um, before we talk about the angle, we haven't spent much time talking about Paul Orndorff. What did you think of his career and, oh. and working with Paul? Well, he had such an incredible career. Uh, highlighted probably with that incredible run with Hogan. Yes. And, um, you know, he's in WrestleMania. He's in the first WrestleMania. The uh, main event. The main event. Yeah, that's he's in the main event with, uh, with Piper, Orton outside. What led up to it is this great story, epic uh, example of storytelling, where he and Hulk start having some friction. So it's really well told. Like, we all... We think we know where it's going. Right. And we can't wait to get there. And when he turns on the Hulkster, like, it's all on. And Paul had, he did have the great physique, but a lot of people had great physiques. But Paul had an intensity yes. that was really second to none. And he was an intense person, you know, backstage. Paul was, he was, he was really intense. That intensity spoke volumes when he was in the ring. So... I look back to that day in Montgomery where the angle was Harley Race is scouting to see who would make the better candidate to join his crew. Right. And so now you're talking about me being in a position where I'm in the ring with somebody I idolized. Yes. Outside the ring is one of the greatest of all time in Harley yes. Race, and we're going to be joining a group, or one of us is going to be joining a group with Leon, who was the biggest WCW heel star of, of that era. Right. So it's, man, it was, yeah, it was just really a lot of fun. Paul was a guy who didn't, he didn't like to plan stuff. That didn't mean you couldn't approach him with an idea, but he liked to let the course of events uh, run naturally out there. 
And I look back on that match, there's not a lot of fancy stuff, but everything we did was, was solid. Everything we did, I think, looked good. And that resulted in uh, Harley and the Vader and Paul kind of tripling up on me and beating yeah, me so down. Yeah, so let's talk about yeah. that. At one point, he's trying to, he being Harley, he's trying to see who's the tougher of the two, and he uh, uses some aggression to try to roll you back in the ring. You take exception and knock Harley on his ass. And that's what brings Vader out. And you write in your book, with my sweatpants halfway down my butt, the Mastodon splashed me twice and left me lying. I guess Paul Orndorff was judged the winner by process of elimination. <laughs> but listen, this is kind of what you've always imagined or hoped or wished for. You're working with the top guy here yeah. on TV. Mm-hmm. But this Cactus Jack character up to this point had lent itself to being a heel persona more often than not. Yeah. And when you're getting squashed by or splashed by Vader, are you nervous or anxious to try the baby face persona? Well, it had been something, it wasn't out of the blue. People right. were starting to connect, connect, connect with this character. When I did my first special for the WWE Network, I talked about how there was almost a universal understanding at a certain point where I'd get away for about six months, you know, the bang, bang, the wild eyes, the moves, you know, where people would go to school and go, I know a lot of wrestling, but that guy, I think he might be crazy. And I said there would be a point, like almost in my mind, I could visualize it where I come and I drop the elbow. Clearly he's going to, you know, he's taking as much or more out of me than it is my opponents. Look up at the camera, bang, bang. And it was almost like a universal realization going, oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah. You could see it after a while. So I had every available deflection I could bring from the promos and the crazy mannerisms and the moves. But after a while, A, it became apparent that I was a pretty good guy giving people a lot of bang for their buck. And that's A and B actually, that I was a pretty good guy, B giving people a lot of bang for the buck. And it's not that I'm comparing myself to The Rock, but every heel who's entertaining, in a, you know, you can be entertaining in a variety of different ways, eventually gets a babyface following. And it's just a matter of whether the timing is right to capitalize on that. I, um, I can't help but quote your book here. In the locker room, I thought about my revenge. I was planning on coming through the crowd to attack Harley's new duo from behind while I cut an interview in the ring. Someone suggested I use a shovel as a weapon, and I began practicing half-speed <laughs> shovel shots on the wall. After all, this wasn't a class that Danucci had offered. Nah. I was scared that I might seriously hurt someone. This wasn't a plastic or even aluminum shovel. It was solid steel. Harley saw me practicing these wimpy blows. And Can I do my Harley? Please do. Can I do my Harley? Yeah, again, I'm trying to, for people watching, I'm, I'm trying to pull it, you know, I'm you know, like, it. snap it. And Harley walks over, sees what I'm doing, and looks at me and goes, if you don't hit him when we get back here, I'm hitting you. And that was all I needed to hear. I wanted to take care of my fellow man, but not at the expense of a Harley race beat down in the dressing room. So you better believe when I came through that crowd, and I did come through the crowd before DDP did it, by the way. <laughs> uh, I, and I also knew, I mean, I believed what Rip Rogers had told me is you really get one turn. Right. 
you get one real turn, one meaningful turn. You could do a turn in every company you go to, but after you do your one turn, it's a case of diminished uh, you know, returns after that. Uh, so when I came out, uh, Vader was doing his thing, you know. I'm the, you know, that nanu nanu thing. Yeah. I've never, I can never, you either can do it genetically or you can't. And he, I remember him going, <laughs> I fear no man. I feel no, and before he can get the word pain out of his mouth, you heard like a high-pitched shriek, ah! Because I just hit him as hard as I possibly could. With a steel shovel. A steel shovel in the back, but brother, it made some impact. I can't remember if Harley fed before Paul. Paul put the hand up as well he should. Harley raised no hand. No hand taking a steel shovel to, to the, the head. head. That tough SOB. And now I'm waiting for a trail of, of, you know, enhancement talent to come out. And I'm not saying that Vinny Vegas or Mark Canterbury were enhancement talent, but they came out and maybe one person after them, and that was it. I'm looking for a long line of people. When I came back, even though the overall the thing had been a success, Mark Canterbury had a concussion, you know, and I'm uh, sorry. From the shovel. Yeah, from the shovel. This is not Mark Callis, by the way. This is mean Mark Canterbury. He was mean Mark was he Mean Mark? No, I don't think they called it Mean. It was Mean Mark Callis was the undertaker. Okay, okay. But Mark Canterbury at that time was uh, Tex Lazenger This, is, well, this may have been before. All right, well, he may have become Shanghai Pierce by that point. Okay. I'm not sure. But anyway, Mark Canterbury uh, did have a concussion. When I went to the back and I said, what happened to all the guys coming out? And Grizzly Smith looked at me and dragged that cigarette he saw. They left. When they saw what was going on, they made the choice to leave the building. And I thought that, being that aggression was always one of the hurdles I had to deal with, because it wasn't in me naturally. It cleared that bar here. Cleared that bar that night, and I don't know if I would have cleared it without Harley. Because fast-forwarding to the day after the epic Royal Rumble match with Triple H in 2000, Vince was so disappointed by my, you know, lackluster, by my uh, uh, inability to lay in the shots when I needed to at a big angle. So if I'd had Harley there right at the gorilla position, <laughs> would have had a different story. But having this guy with his legendary left hand yeah. saying, I'm going to hit you, it really put a... Fear of Harley. Yeah, put the fear of Harley into me. Uh, when you're talking about you know, hey, I'm not going to pull this. I'm going to full blast. I know you were referencing Vader's back. Were you full blast at Harley's head? Uh, no, not as hard as I hit uh, yeah. Uh, Leon. Yeah. Um, man. No, it wasn't. But I also knew if I didn't hit him kind of hard, he'd be pissed, he'd off. Be pissed off at me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a reason why he wasn't putting the hand up. He wanted it to make it. Harley liked me. You know, I mean. You know, I had detractors in that era, and I, I, you know, and my style wasn't for everyone. You know, everywhere I went, it wasn't for everyone. But Harley calling me, you know, after the one match I did with Leon, you know, where I'd been taken out in the ambulance, and you know, he was slightly inebriated in the bar, but he knew I needed to stay up all night because I'd had the head injury, and so he was helping me out. And before he hung up, I, I said, "Do you think it went?" Well, Harley goes, it couldn't have gone better if we did it a hundred times. I said, Th thank you, Harley. He goes, kid, you are the new Harley race. Wow. So for anyone who's ever, like, you know, not enjoyed what I did, 
I've got that. Yeah. You know who enjoyed it? Harley. Enjoyed. Yeah. You know who respected me? Harley respected me. Yeah, so that absolutely. meant the world. So listen, I, I gotta ask. I know if this were WWE, there would have been a Richie Posner running around. <laughs> Why are we using a real steel shovel? You use whatever you get in in WCW. I mean, if you wanted a metal chair, you had to go find it because they didn't have the cavalcade of gimmicks underneath the ring like uh, like WWE did. Even going to my match with uh, Leon, they. I had to go around the arena and find a metal chair and put it under the ring for further use because they had those padded chairs yeah. with the awkward hinges yes. where you could remove a finger, you know, yeah. if you weren't careful with it. They, they were dangerous. They were heavy. They hurt like hell and they looked God awful. And then you, no smacking noise. Uh, I mean, I used to go and see, uh, you know, house shows at the garden, which were pretty much pay-per-views before there were pay-per-views in the sense that, you know, they sold close circuit seats at uh, uh, the Felt Forum, which is now the theater at Madison Square Garden. Uh, these are the biggest shows on the on the loop, and guys would pick up those awkward, clumsy, folding, padded chairs and use them, and they looked awful. Right. So you had to use what you could. There was no... There was no one at that time. And then they'd go on to have Ellis Edwards, who was Hulkster's buddy. And Ellis is still working for WWE as like a coordinator of gimmicks and stunts and things like that. But at that time, no. If you wanted a, an object, you had to go find it and make sure it was there. Well, something that I know you find each and every morning is Athletic Greens. It's a part of our daily routine, and it should be a part of yours. If yeah. you're looking to optimize your immune system, maybe you're looking for better gut health, maybe more energy. Man, this checks all the boxes and it tastes great. Now, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, literally everything you need to start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all of the things. It's also lifestyle friendly. Whether you're doing keto or paleo or vegan, it's also dairy-free and gluten-free. There's less than one gram of sugar. There's absolutely no artificial anything, no nasty chemicals, and it still tastes great. It's gonna support your better sleep quality and better recovery, better mental clarity, better alertness. And Mick, it tastes great. They've got over 7,000 five-star reviews. I haven't left a review yet, but if I did, it'd Ooh, be five stars. I have to leave one, and we've talked about this before. Like People look at this like, here's two big dudes. What could they know about greens? Brother, since, I, uh, since the pandemic subsided, I have traveled through 40 states, and that's uh, two years' time, 40 states doing a lot of traveling. I've done more traveling now than any time since 2000. Don't even have a sniffle. And that's largely because in addition to the late night binging, I do get my healthy stuff in when I need to. And uh, Athletic Greens are one of them. It's it's the real deal, folks. You got to try it. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Go check it out right now. It's a, a comprehensive solution. That's what you need from your supplement routine. And Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Foley. Check it out. Look, we may do something like record a podcast during a tornado, but yes. we're not going to do something foolish like deny ourselves the greens our body craves. 
Well said. Kind thank of, you. Sir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's talk about Harley race a little more. Yeah. You wrote in your book, one time in Baltimore, I had a split eyebrow right down to the bone. If I please do the Harley invitation. Do Lead the, me up tell to the it. Whole Go ahead. Story. Go ahead. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, the deal in Maryland is the athletic commission would take care of any injuries that happened inside the ring, but not an injury that took place outside the ring. So there was an older gentleman who was part of the Maryland athletic Committee. I think he's passed, you know, he was, he was old at the time, but he was a nice man. He always called me Mike. And, and when I got back, I know one of the things I did, I, there was very little margin for error in my style so that if I was off even by a little bit, I would sometimes pay for it. So one of the reasons I think the guardrails I took look good is because there was just like a half an inch. And I, did, I would be thrown in and I would lead with my bicep and then my head would ricochet off my body. You might be like, follow that kind of bicep, but you're, you're lucky you didn't get wounded every time. Like, sharp. Like, uh, but in this, in this case, I missed just a little bit. My eyebrow bounces off the railing, and it's a, it's a pretty good-sized gash. And when I get back to the ring, uh, the guy goes, Mike, it's, it's too bad that uh, that injury happened outside the ring or else we'd take care of it. And Harley goes... It happened inside the ring. And the guy goes, come on, Harley. We And before he could say another word, Harley said, I said, uh, it was a headbutt. And it happened inside the ring. And the guy from the commission looks at me and goes, don't worry, Mike, we're going to take care of this for you. And they did. He put the far, fear of Harley into that guy. <laughs> I said it was a headbutt. And it happened uh, inside the ring. So, uh, so what happens from there? Do they do they bring somebody to the facility? Do you go to the hospital? And you go to the down? hospital. Yeah, you go to the hospital, and I, I don't know if they have a note it's saying up and all it that. happened. Harley, it happened inside the ring. <laughs> Harley, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, of course, in this angle, you're in the backstage area, and you say, "I could see Vader, Orndorff, and Harley in the ring." I knew this was another big moment in my career. I was nervous as hell. I kept yeah. thinking of my son's tiny blue and green shoes and repeating, I love you, my little monster man. It's strange how often in this business I juxtapose beautiful images with be with brutal acts, mm -hmm. and a brutal act was about to take place. I've heard and seen your, your live shows where you talk about getting amped up for a match and listening to a certain song uh, <laughs> and, uh, and other folks being really shocked that that is the song that you choose to listen to. Why do you think those... Goes so well for you. Well, the song you're referring to is Winter by Tori Amos. Uh, and I didn't listen to it much. But if you were to lay out, like if there was a list of the 10 most ridiculously over-the-top brutal matches that I was in, I probably listened to that song on eight of them. Wow. I, it just, you know, there was always this, uh, you know, fear of not being good enough of not being strong enough, tough enough, all those things. And that song made me feel like I was capable of more. Right. You know, I mean, there's this line in there that says, when you're going to make up your mind, when you're going to love you as much as I do. And for some reason, that made me feel like I could be tougher, stronger, and braver than I'd ever been before. And I needed that just to, on some of those matches, like the, the match with Terry Funk and... January 95. I can't remember if I listened to that song before um, uh, the event with uh, 
Harley and and Paul. But yeah, I did. I did. So I did. I did. I never prayed for a great match. You know, my feeling was always God's got a lot on this table, right? I don't know. If he's got the time to make sure I have a great match. But right. as far as, uh, but he does have time to make sure an angle goes well for the sake of my children. So. Uh, that's how I feel about it. But I, I would go to that well every once in a while and uh, pray, you know, always speak with my family in mind that this was a big moment for my family and this turn was a big moment. Not as big as it could have been, I'll even argue not as big as it should have been, but at that time, yeah, it was a really big deal. Of course, when it's over, you mentioned uh, that unfortunately Mr. Canterbury had a concussion but Vader had some sort of sack on his elbow. Uh, I mean, people are worse for wear. What's protocol when you come to the back after you've done some damage like this? I mean, everybody knows that we're trying to take care of each other, but yeah. occasionally things happen and yeah. people get hurt. What is protocol when you come back through the curtain and something like that's happened? And you're the guy who's on the positive side of that. <laughs> I was I was just so happy that Harley wasn't going to uh, hit, land, hit me that I guess I was willing thought I could run from Leon or something. <laughs> I probably owed Leon a couple after what he'd done to me, uh, but I you know yeah it, it was uh, it was a big deal. I don't remember being afraid of anybody afterwards because I was really f flying pretty high. I was just wondering what happened to all the extras who didn't show up. I didn't mean you're afraid of them necessarily. Yeah. I'm just saying, hey, Protocol sorry effort. about yeah, that. You I definitely beers wanna... on me. Or, I mean, what, what's yeah, that? I mean, this was a little different because I'd, I'd had the fear of Harley put into me. But, you know, before a big match, you'd apologize ahead of time. <laughs> and I wasn't a guy who took liberties, so I think anyone knew that if something happened, it was never intentional that it was an accident. And I can't remember, because I thought I came straight down on Leon's back. It's possible that I caught part of his elbows, that scoop shovel, it was a, took up quite a bit of space, you know? It's crazy too, because I, when I think of scoop shovels, I associate that with snow. What the hell was that doing in Montgomery, Well, Alabama? this would be, a lot of times, the, uh, the they're used for livestock, so it's scooping. a doo-doo shovel. It's a doo-doo shovel, That's yeah. That's your hitting big man right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you hit Harley Race in the head with a doo-doo shovel. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we had yeah. our facts right here. Uh, it's a pretty big show, not just for you, but for Paul Orndorff. You wrote in your book a few days later, Orndorff approached me in the shower area. He said that coming in, he knew this was probably his last shot at getting a good run with a major company. And he told me that he had just signed a contract with WCW. And he told me he thought our match had a lot to do with him getting an offer. He wanted to say thank you. I thought it was an incredibly classy thing for a guy of his magnitude yeah. to say it, and I'm getting goosebumps writing about it now. Yeah. That's a big deal, man. It You're was. your flowers from not only Harley, but from Paul as well. And being that I'd been a guy paying money to see Paul yeah. um, at the Garden, a guy that I uh, idolized, that was a big deal. And that run with WCW went on to be a long run for Paul, not only in ring, but then he became part of the office. And uh, uh, yeah, it, and later was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, and just a, a great athlete, a really good man, who was always trying harder to be an even better man. He was deeply religious. Uh, and he was just a guy I love, I just, I loved working with him. Part of it was that it, it reflected well on me 
that somebody who was such a big star liked working with me and felt like I was, uh, you know, had something to do with him being part of the company. It was great. Uh, pile driver, top three, top five. Oh yeah, yeah. He, 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 it was a great pile driver. He it was. Did. Because he would actually get some airtime. Yes. It was different than the pile driver I did, and I can only do mine to the, my pile driver to the guys who wore tights. Otherwise, it resulted in a wedgie and a laugh instead of an ah, ooh. And you didn't want that happening with such a devastating move. Why did you use that type of pile driver? I don't know why I used that one. I don't know if I ever saw anybody doing it. Uh, I have to think I did. Maybe one of our fans come across footage of someone doing it. I called it a stump pulling. Now, I had nothing to do with pulling stumps, but it was just the idea it was a momentum thing where that guy would go from from bent over, boom, to being, uh, you know, uh, feet first in the air. There's a great photo from the Hell in a Cell match with me and The Undertaker where he's just completely vertical. And that's partially to do with him, but partially it, it looked good. When guys yes. wore tights, it looked really good. Um, that's not something Danucci taught you. No, you no, no, no. And then even, you know, uh, over time, I learned that even, you know, picking somebody up by the waist and, and dropping them pretty slowly could still look good if you executed it well. But I could never get the type of height or any height like Paul did. Uh, yeah, I would say top three for sure. Who were some of your other favorite pile drivers? Oh, well, I love the Morocco. The Morocco called it the Hawaiian Hammer, which later went on to be the Tombstone. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys. Harley gave a great pile driver. Yes. Terry Funk gave a really good yes. pile driver. So those would be my top three right there. Yeah, there you go. Orndorff, Harley, Funk. Um, we discussed Clash of the Champions uh, 22 on the Bill Watts episode where you're going to be teaming with Dustin and Sting to take on Barry Windham, Vader, and Paul Orndorff. Uh, but you give uh, a pretty awesome promo on the way here where you're talking about how you made people like me. And this is a major promo in the evolution of this character. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about the verbiage and how you put that together? I'm trying to think exactly which promo it was. Do you have a clue as to what you've gotten yourselves into? You don't have a clue. You took me down from behind, and I can excuse that. A blatant cheap shot, as I've been guilty of the same. But you did the unexcusable. You made people like me. They put their hands together for me, and they cheered for Cactus Jack. You know what that does? It takes away the hunger all of my life. I fed off of the fans, and you took that away. You're going to pay tenfold for what you did to Cactus Jack. I guarantee you, you want to feed off of me, I'll feed off of you. When it comes to appetites for pain, I've got the biggest there is. You understand what they're, what we're talking about is a smorgasbord of violence, and nobody cooks it up better than me. I guarantee you, you take a bite out of Cactus Jack. The taste will make you sick. Bang, bang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Man. You remember that last line? Yeah, I sure do, because I'm pretty sure I was wearing a Cactus Jack Steakhouse and Saloon t-shirt when I gave that promo. And this is a shirt now, by the way, over at uh, uh, at, our, at our store. You see the link at the bottom right now. <laughs> right now. Right now. As we speak, Cactus right now, Jack Steakhouse speak. and Saloon. Yes. Uh, do we make it look like the one I was wearing? It there? looks almost identical. Oh, man. It's the damnedest that's, thing. That's wonderful. Hey, you think this could outsell Phantom Balls? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Phantom Balls is flying off the shelves. I mean, we sold out last week. We're restocking now. But Is it possible that they're selling so well that someone could literally get hit in the face by Phantom Balls flying off the shelves? I mean, let's dream big. 
Man, I love that line. You take a bite out of Cactus Jack, the taste will make uh, you sick. Look, this Do is, you think of that in the car? This is where I, I'm wondering because I never practiced a promo. It, I, I had them in my head. Not in the mirror, not in the never car. Never in the mirror, uh, never on video. Usually cutting them in the car. Sometimes I would cut them at the gym. My wife would see, like, she would see my fingers twitching. There were two tells. The fingers twitching, right eye twitching. And then she would tell me people would be staring at me because a few minutes would go by and I'd be lost in my own world. And then she'd tap me on the shoulder and say, you're cutting promos, aren't you? I was like, yes. oh, yeah, yeah. So it would be one thing to say it's off the cuff, which in some sense it was, because you're looking to tie in all these allusions to you know the dining and the smorgasbord and the taste making you sick. And that was part of the fun for it is like you're putting together a puzzle mm -hmm. in live time. So I love the idea like that you're on that tightrope and there's no net, you, you fail, you fail but you're gonna put your best stuff out there and there's nobody there in studio to say, okay, let's try another take. And almost always your first take is gonna be the best. There's been a few over the years where I was like, man, do I wish I had another shot at that one. But uh, yeah, for a big baby face promo, uh, the first time out and also not just gravitating towards uh, with you people behind me, I can do this. But the idea I think of actually detesting them for making the fans like me, that's, that's pretty heavy stuff. Talk to me about your facials in the promo um, because it sort of blows me away to hear that you never practiced it in the mirror because you did such a great job with your eyes and moving your head and looking around. Would you just watch it back when it aired on television and see that yeah. and sort of critique it? Yeah, exactly. And I was I was pretty tough on anyone who listens to the show knows that historically I'm pretty tough on my own body of work. Yes. And I don't think it's as good, generally speaking, as a lot of people do. But I will say there were times when I cut those promos where I was like, man, that's that's on the money. That's on the money. And I was really proud of the fact as a promo cutter that I didn't cover the same territory over and over again. That there were a lot of different thoughts out there and you know, there were a few years where I'd be in the top five best promos where I was like, I could have been, I could have been number one, you know, and I think there were a few years where I was, Yeah. but I was always looking, I mean, it's, it's tricky because you're looking, Paulie had that saying, show me the money, because you're looking to draw money with your promo, but on another level, you're also looking to build your character. Mm -hmm. And you need to build the guys you're working with even more so that when win, lose, or draw, you're doing it against the best person possible. I, you know, it would always got to me when someone would dismiss his opponent as being a joke or a piece of garbage because then the old adage is, if that's the case and you win, you beat a piece of garbage. If you lose, you lost to a piece of garbage. Yes. So you're trying to build up your opponent without making it absolutely clear to everybody that that's your intention. But when you go in there and you're cutting that money promo, yeah, there are different facets. Delivery, you know, the, 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 the timing, the facials, the message, ending with a good, uh, a good line, the taste will make you sick, bang, bang. It's a pretty good line. I think I actually went to that well a few different times, you know, take a bite out of the baddest apple in the tree and the taste will make you sick. Yeah. But uh, I was really happy with that promo and it was a great way to get the baby face, uh, you know, to keep the baby face turn rolling. 
is there a difference between, in your opinion, a national television promo versus a localized promo? Yeah. Because those localized promos are often really simplistic in that this Saturday night or whatever. Yeah. Well, but, how would your approach be different there? Well, it would be different. You realize you're appealing to a mass audience, and I think I, I talked about uh, during our episode on Bill Watts that part of Bill's emphasis was building the Omni into the Garden of the South. Right. So you'd have a live TV show with, with guys doing market-specific promos for Atlanta. For the whole country. Which never made sense to me. Yeah. But I tried even when I was doing my market-specific promos to try all kinds of different things because that's where you're getting your reps in. You go out there and you cut that one live promo. That's one promo. But you get to the CNN Center if you have 40, 40 promos lined up, the easy way out is to have the same basic promo and do it 40 different times for 40 different cities or 10 different times in four different ways for each of 10 cities. And I like to throw stuff at the wall and see what stuck. You know, I still believe you don't hit the towering home runs without swinging and missing here and there. So there were some swings and misses, but I felt like that one that I, uh, you know, delivered... Uh, live was was a solid solid contact sailing. There's nothing more satisfying than you know uh, figuratively watching your promo sail into a purple twilight sky when you know you've hit it out of the park. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible feeling. Well, I'm glad you're not as hard on yourself. But if you're looking to be hard on other people, can we recommend Blue Chew? Come on, boys and girls, let's talk about getting our wieners hard. Gentlemen, start your boners. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and in a fraction of the cost, Daddy. Dude Love endorses this, by the way. Uh, you can take this anytime, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Uh, what did uh, old Action Jackson say to the diving board? Boy, There you go. The process is simple. What are we doing? Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, You'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Lucius tablets are made in the USA. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there'll be nothing discreet about your package. Come on now. Bam! So if you could benefit from extra Bang! confidence when it's time to perform, you will be banging all over the Bang! place. Chew it and do it. Let's have some better sex, y'all. Mick and I like to think of Blue Chew as like a hot tag for your wiener. And we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code Foley at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is Foley to receive your first month free. Uh, that's in the Foley price range, by the way. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast and Mix Ween. Ah, that's um, right. Thank you. So listen, you're going to have another singles match with Orndorf on the main event where you get the win by DQ when Vader's going to attack you and you eventually uh, have uh, the Barbarian make the save for you. The Barbarian. Now this is a weird pairing. I like it. Uh, you're, you're in the ring here with Vader. Uh, are, are, we've heard a lot of people complain that at times he could be a little snug, a little, a little stiff. Snug, yeah. Um, was that ever an issue for you? Well, Leon and his snugness? No, no, because I, I realized I was an unconventional baby face. Uh, the audience had been preconditioned for 
better part of two and a half years to think that I thrived on pain, right. maybe even liked the pain. And that's why I eventually went to Dusty with the idea of doing an angle with, with Vader, which turned out to be the amnesia, lost in Cleveland angle, just because it was only with Leon that the fans really got behind me because his stuff was so impressive. Even with somebody as great as Paul Orndorff, it's like during the heat, it's almost like, okay, we're watching him do something that he enjoys. So we're going to get back during the comeback. But I didn't get the sense that the audience felt, that the crowd felt there was much at stake because I was doing something that I enjoyed, you know, the heat segment. So I didn't mind at all. Uh, I, I, I like the, the Leon stuff. I mean, I geared up for it like... Uh, it was my Frazier and Ali, you know? Like, I didn't know that the world would have bigger things in store for me. The wrestling world would have bigger things in store for me. I thought, this is as good as it possibly gets, and this is the perfect opponent for me. So I, I didn't mind at all. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Barbarian. You're going to be teaming with him uh, to take on Vader and Orndorf on main event. It goes to a double DQ. Michael Hayes is going to interview, interview you, and uh, you do the challenge for a no DQ match. What do you think of working with Barbarian? We haven't spent a lot of time talking about it. We haven't. You know, I think we may have talked a little bit earlier about the time where I was injured. I tore an abdominal muscle, and uh, Bill Watts put me to work as his manager. Like, still made me a valuable part of the crew. And I like Barb on a personal level a great deal. I think the one knock on Barb was that he could never shift gears. He didn't have that. But and, you know, and, and Barb was one of the most deadly people in the business, you know, we're talking about real life type of things. One of those guys, a lot, you hear more about Ming. Ming than you do about Barb, but he was in that class. Um, but I'm talking about as a baby face or heel, he didn't seem to have that other gear to shift into. Aggression, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but everything he did looked good. He was a great guy, you know, I always liked him. I always liked his wife, you know, uh, they were a great couple. I believe they're still together. Yeah. And I still see Barb a couple times a year and we all, you know, and they, he's just such a good guy. Last time I think I saw Barb was when uh, I may have refereed a match where Barb teamed up with Ming to take on a couple of, uh, uh, you know, the guys for big time wrestling. Uh, all of these uh, matches that we're talking about are taking place at the same taping. Uh, how grueling were these WCW syndicated yeah. tapings? I mean, these are marathon shows here. It's It was hard. Because uh, the crowds burn out, and yeah, you're tired. They are. I'm sure. And you have to then, you know, you have to continually uh, rise to, you know, I'm not using blue chew. Uh, I was going to think of yeah. tying it in. But I'm talking about the idea of emotionally there's an it, adrenaline it, dump between yeah. these, and you got to get going again. Uh, I liken it to the publicity days, um, where you'd have you do like you'd go from stop to stop. You might do ten stops on a publicity tour, and you'd have to get up for each stop on the tour. Right, and that was difficult. What made this far more difficult was you had to actually peak emotionally and physically, sometimes three or four times in a single uh, set of tapings. Crowd has already seen you. Yes. That initial pop is gone. You have to pull some tricks out of your bag. And when you're a baby face, you have to hope they're behind you after four hours of uh, often lopsided matches. Yes. Bill Watts did a lot of positive things, but he was a big believer in the enhancement matches. Yes. He didn't want to give away those. This I don't want to put words in his mouth. 
but it didn't seem like he wanted to give away competitive matches on TV, which I think hurts the program, hurts the rating. And today, if we ever went back to a, uh, a menu of uh, nonstop enhancement matches, you know, the shows would ratings would nosedive within a couple of weeks. Um, but it was it was it was really difficult to do that. Finally, it's an amazing and brutal no DQ rematch between the four of you. It ends with Orndorff pinning you with a knee drop off the top on WCW Power Hour. Um, a knee drop off the top for Paul Orndorff. I could see how to someone new to wrestling. Uh, I don't know about that. Any nervousness <laughs> as you're laying there, and here comes a legend flying off knee first at your head. Not that I can recall. Okay. I mean, I, you e- even the first time, like, like the first time you took a knee drop off the top, there was no hesitation. You're like, this will be fine. Cause it does feel as if as a, as a new person in wrestling, they could like, crush, you could crush your skull, right? Yeah. And how many times has nature boy dropped that knee yeah, and never hurt anybody? Right. And there are, you know, this is where, you know, you, you, Bobby ex- Eaton did it off the top. Bobby of did it amazingly well. Um, you know, for example, the Vader splash is going to be stiff. And DDP talked to me about being legitimately knocked out after getting hit with a Macho Man elbow. Yeah. Knocked out. Unconscious. He collapsed one of Little Nature's uh, lungs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So these things off the top were nothing to be trifled with. But the guys who established themselves as guys who could do things to the skull were immaculate yeah. with it. And so the trust was complete and I, it never, no, I never, never regretted that. That's amazing. Uh, let's talk about something else. That's gotta be a, pr- a pretty cool little feather in your cap. We talked about how you got hired in Memphis when Dave Meltzer wrote that you were perhaps the best no name talent in the, in the yeah. business at the time. Well, here now, uh, you're going to win the Bruiser Brody Memorial Award for Best Brawler as voted on Whoa. by the readers of The Observer. Uh, how do you find out about that back then? I know these days Dave might send you a DM or something, but that was not the case back I then. think you found out when you opened up the, the newsletter. Were you a subscriber? Or did yeah, one of the guys I, I was a subscriber. I, I subscribed, I think, right after Brian Hildebrandt told me about it. Okay. I didn't even know. I'd only heard rumors of it. I'd never actually right. read one until uh, 88. And then I subscribed until 90, uh, 96 when I realized that uh, it was having an unwelcome effect on me when I got home. And sometimes could ruin that first of you know, first day home. So I just thought, uh, I'm pretty good. At, uh, I'm a pretty good judge. I can. I have a feeling from when things are going well. There'll be times when, as you know, when I've agreed with Dave's assessment of stuff that fell flat, and times when I've disagreed. Sure. But his opinion's a really good one, a valuable one. Is but it's just one man's opinion. That's right. And um, you know, and I've even used this line saying, um, you know, it's a thin line between self confidence and delusion. Yes. And I've tiptoed over that line a couple times. It's we all not have. pretty, but I think by and large, I had a pretty good feel for what was working. And what was not, I would know if a promo worked because I could feel it in my gut. Right. And I would know if a match worked 
because I could feel it. That doesn't mean it would translate to a, a viewing 30 years later mm -hmm. when you're looking for certain things that make it a four or five star match. But when you're looking at the match's ability to enhance a storyline, I think that's a different qualification. So, whoa, sorry about that. Talk to me a little bit about uh, when you decided to stop reading The Observer in 96. Was there one review that you remember particularly affected by where you were like, okay, that's it. I well, it was just stop. a succession of probably four or five times in a row. I see. There was no crowd reaction, the characters, mankind characters not getting over. And then I uh, resubscribed when I left full-time wrestling in 2000 up to like 2010 when I went to, or 2008 or nine when I went back to TNA. And uh, so it was valuable to read about what's going on in the business and keep up. You saw that, but when you thought I might be in here and I don't want it to affect my performance in the way I feel when I'm yeah. at home. So, right. Okay. And you know, when you and I first started doing this, I said, Conrad, I don't watch the current product like I used to. Right. And you said, it's not necessary, you know, not necessary as a walk down memory lane. Yeah. And then we could still allude to things that really stand out to us, like the Sami Zayn stuff. Yes. So, I feel really good when I come in and do these things that there are lessons to be learned and information to be gleaned that are more than, so that the shows are more than just about that match with Orndorff. So right. the things that I'm saying, hopefully our uh, our listeners and our viewers uh, will feel has uh, some a purpose above and beyond just talking about that one match. Here's a quote from uh, one of your interviews on WCW Saturday night on January 23rd, 1993. As long as my neck snaps, crackles, and pops like a sadistic bowl of Rice Krispies, Ooh. I know this war isn't over. I like that. That's pretty good. A sadistic, <laughs> a sadistic bowl of Rice Krispies. Of course, that's a big commercial at the time, the snap, crackle, and pop. <laughs> You're leaning into that. Do you remember having any of these things that you slipped in? By the way, this is all great stuff, but was there ever feedback from a producer in WCW or an agent or a higher up who would say, hey, what's up with so-and-so? Or can we do that one again and maybe cut that <laughs> there, out? There were times you can ask Tony Schiavone about the fact that I said uh, I referred to Van Hammer. And I like Van Hammer. Right. You know, I do personally. I, I'm not in touch with him often, but every once in a while I hear from Mark Hildreth. And we had some good matches, but I referred to him as a pimple on the ass of wrestling. And Tony was producing those, those interviews. And Mick, we can't say that, so I got to say, hey, you're a pimple on the cheek of wrestling, which isn't nearly as hard-hitting. And right. then I watch as Rick Rude starts out with his promo by going, Sting, you scumbag. And immediately I go, wait until it's live. So that's the lesson there, wait until it's live. Otherwise, they... There was another one where I Wait, was... scumbag was a bad thing to say? Well, scumbag, yeah, I think that's that's worse than ass, right? Oh, I think but, ass is worse. Maybe uh, me and Shivani are aligned on this. Maybe you're aligned on this. Pimple on the ass of wrestling, scumbag. I mean, I would have let ass fly. Though. I would have let, let ass, ass fly, fly on this too. Show. Yeah, I said it. fly off a cage. I've seen I, it. I did, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but I did realize that if you wanted to do something, and this goes back to what Bruce said to The Rock, you know, be willing to take that chewing out because even though we were live to tape in WCW, they weren't going to go back unless it was a very egregious error right. and, and redo it. So that's what I remember. There was one time when I was teaming up with Jake, and this was in the middle or at the very beginning of Woody Allen's problems, you know, where yes. his, he was romancing his stepdaughter. 
and I held up the Time magazine. I go, you think this guy's got problems? And they cut, cut, cut. It's like just a photo of right. the guy, you know. Right. So there were times, yeah, where they where they were always kind of they were walking that fine line between trying to appeal to a rough and tumble audience, a largely male audience, and trying to please the people in charge uh, at at Turner. And that was that was tough to please. Well, and this is the era where this station is showing things like Andy Griffith reruns yeah. and Matlock and In the Heat of the Night yeah. and Braves Baseball. Mm-hmm. So they probably do want to avoid some controversial topics. Yes. Yeah. So they would issue the edict, there would be no blood, and then yes. you'd have, you know, Norman Lunatic get hit with a painting that happened to have red paint on. Oh my they gosh. did everything they could, but I think I even remarked when Sullivan and I went out to be Sullivan's slaughterhouse that he had a clean, like, starch, white, crisp butcher's apron, making him the neatest butcher of all time. There you go. Uh, you're on the road working with Michael Hayes and also teaming with Sting and Dustin Rhodes and Six Mans against uh, Barry Windham, Brian Pillman, and Steve Austin. And it's written in the Observer that you're starting to get big time babyface reactions. Was that a surprise to you that the audience had taken to you the way they had as a babyface character? We already talked about the Detroit incident, right? Yes. Where I was getting a bad, I'm not saying it happened often, but on that night in Detroit, it was. It was a Cactus Jack crowd, and Sting was in the match. Yes. And I realized that's not what they wanted. Uh,. Did anybody tell you that in the match or when you come nah, in the curtain? You just knew I this knew. ain't good. I knew. Yeah. I knew. Um, they, you know, they, they call him the icon for a reason. I'm yes. not trying to compare mine to his. But um, Sting knew that the character was getting, his character getting a little flat. And that's why when he came back, you know, I remember him telling me about the idea he had, like, to just to go away for a while and come back with a different look, which is what he ended up doing. And now it would seem awfully strange to have Sting at an autograph appearance with the neon paint. Uh, but I think the, you know he'd been the top guy for so long that people were looking for something different. Um, and I'm not saying I could have been that top guy, but I don't think it was good for my long-term um, employment that that reaction was so strong. I know we didn't set off to have this type of conversation, but I'm sort of picking up the vibe there. Do you not see yourself at Sting's level when you think back over now? your career? Yes, now. No, I don't. And I think Why that's... Why not? Well, I think you can look at what people pay Sting for an autograph appearance as oh, opposed to... Oh, that's because you want to keep your stuff affordable for fans. <laughs> gets a bit, I mean, I'm the promoter. I mean, I've booked these guys before. He has a flat fee. You do a different deal oftentimes, and you want it to be affordable for fans and... He demands a premium to put the paint on. It's a different function. Ah, no, I don't think I don't consider my my career to be on That's the crazy, same level man. as Sting. More people watched you when you were on top than Sting when he was on top. Look, we can open up the phone lines to this. Uh, there's we're no run a way. We're gonna no. run a poll. All right, let's run a poll. I'll I'll lose. I'll, it will be a crushing defeat, and rightfully so. No, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying in terms of who had more longevity. Clearly, Sting wins that. He's still going. Right. But, but, but as far as at their height, like WCW at their height was never as hot as you guys were, and you're there running around with the title and raising the eyebrow with the rock and all that stuff with Stone Cold, and that was not Sting's bag. 
Well, let me tell you somebody who's bagged indeed, indeed is, Daddy. Uh, I look, if people want to take up for me, they can, but I don't I think... I am. I, I, thank you, Conrad. I appreciate yeah. it. But no, I don't think I was even close. I think I brought things to the table that Sting did not. Sure. But as far as being that marketable go-to face of the company, yeah, that was Sting. And if Sting had wanted to go to WWE in his prime, he would have... He would have crushed it and been the top guy there too. I'm pretty confident. St like Sting was a guy who, uh, and I and I wrote about this in my book where I said, um, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood's catchphrase in Magnum Force, the second of the Dirty Harry movies, was "A man's got to know his limitations." And I said I made a Hall of Fame career out of that. Sting realized his strengths and weaknesses. I mean, he went up to me in '91 and said, "Look, uh, I don't. You lead." You know, like, I'm good at adding things. Right. So I don't think Sting would have said that to somebody he didn't respect and trust. But after we had a handful of matches, he felt confident that I could tell that story. And that is, that, it takes, I'm not trying to liken this to head injuries and admitting you have an injury being a tougher, being the mark of a tougher guy than a guy who pretends he isn't hurt to begin right. with. So I think Sting had incredible success, partially by understanding his limitations, understanding that wasn't his strength. I'm going to work with guys whose visions I, uh, I, I trust, uh, and I will add things to them to make them better. And that was always my experience with Sting. Um, but yeah, I, I, in the Foley versus Sting contest, yeah, there's a, yeah. You win. No, you win. no, no, not even close. Well, but we can open it up to debate if you want. We'll, we'll agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, and by the way, since we're talking about careers, there's been a debate uh, amongst hardcore observer readers as to whether or not, because there's a comparison a lot of times between Edge and Sting, that they had similar careers. Um, that's up for debate, I suppose. But there is a contingent of folks who believe that Sting and, and Edge are not Hall of Famers. I think that's crazy. Like, they're absolutely Hall of Famers. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I got not even, I wouldn't. How's that even a discussion? It shouldn't even be a discussion. No, I totally agree. I think these guys would be unanimous. You know, if it was a sports writer's thing, like uh, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, but WWE Hall of Fame is basically two or three guys. Right. Just deci deciding. And deciding, you know, when they need somebody from the Southeast, you know, when it's right to put Jim Duggan in because right. he played for the Falcons, when it's right to put the Von Ericks in because they're Texas royalty. I mean, I was lucky I got put in at the Garden because the story made sense. Yes. You know, but uh, look, Dwayne Johnson's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right? That yet. We're waiting for the right time. Um, but I think Edge, a lot of people probably thought that was going to be this year. Assuming that he was going to be available in mm. a part of WrestleMania, I could have seen him being the headliner. The rumor now hasn't been announced, but the rumor now is that the headliner for this year's Hall of Fame class will be Dave Batista, another guy who I think. But he was already it. in after he. Uh, I mean, he's already been inducted, hasn't he? Wasn't he inducted in the year where they ended up having no show because of the pandemic? Is that right? And I thought he was then inducted the next year when they. I, I can't remember. Well, there's been a push online, and I'm sure you would agree with this. I want to get your take. The Rock and Roll Express are in the Hall of Fame. The Midnight Express are not. There's a big push. Of course, unfortunately, Bobby Eaton would not be able to attend. Right. He's no longer with us. But Dennis Condry could be there. Stan Lane could be there. 
and of course the real mouth from the south, uh, Jim Cornette could be there. <laughs> and just knowing that there's a push this year, I kind of hope it's next year in Philadelphia because the midnights were over like oh, over in crazy. Philadelphia. Yeah, that'd be awesome if they got to. Do Are it they next going year. to give Corny a live mic? In I WWE? mean, why not? They did induct the Rock and Roll. Why not here? But that was. I think speech. Jimmy knew his role was to hype the Rock and Roll. This would be more like. Uh, I don't think Cornette gets up there and shits on WWE. Uh, I think he gives a highly entertaining. Absolutely. Absolutely. I right? want to hear it. I'm and the bar it. is going to be set really high to the point where you're probably not going to be able to make anybody happy. Well, the reality is whoever is the headliner that year who goes after him, it's going to be an impossible act to follow. You know who should be in the Hall of Fame? Who's that? Sable. Oh, totally agree. Totally. totally just agree. I think it's just a matter of when she wants to go. Yes. And this is like me acknowledging. I realize every time that I you know, spoke ill of somebody, it was in large part because I was envious of their... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> it has nothing to do with her being Brock Lesnar's wife. Right. But she was the biggest WWE female superstar of, of time. that time. Yeah. yeah. And she deserves to be in. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that's a Brock call where he doesn't want her in yet until he's I, I don't know. I don't want to. I think she'd be in if they both agreed she should be in. Sure. Yeah. Well, something that we can all agree on is that it's time to start eating better. And in two weeks, the Foley Weight Loss Challenge begins. And maybe you've got some New Year's goals yourself. Are you sticking to those promises you made to yourself? Well, if not, HelloFresh is here to help you eat better by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your door, taking the hassle out of dinner time. You see, HelloFresh is going to make cooking fun, easy, and affordable That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And with HelloFresh, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store and that long checkout line and spend more time doing the things you like. And let HelloFresh take care of all the delicious chef-crafted recipes delivered right to your doorstep. There's over 40 different weekly options to choose from. So you can get out of that rut you might be in and treat yourself to exciting new flavors every week. It's a great way to eat well and save money and all happens at HelloFresh. They've got a ton of great menu items you're going to love. And the reality is they're already in less than 15 minutes. You just can't beat it. You're going to find quality ingredients in HelloFresh's recipes. And these ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days. So you know they're fresh. And I have to admit, this is something that uh, I'm going to recommend you do with your wife. She won't expect it. But when you guys wind up cooking together, brother, it's going to pay dividends. Let me just say that. Okay. So go right now to HelloFresh.com slash Foley65 and use our promo code Foley65 for 65% off. What? Plus free shipping. That's right, Mick. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Foley65. Use our promo code Foley65 and you'll get 65% off plus free shipping. It's HelloFresh, America's number this is one. It's a perfect meal kit. opportunity for me to prove it works by incorporating it into the Foley Weight Loss Challenge. Let's do it. All right. For it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Michael Hayes. We mentioned that you're teaming with or, or working against him some here. Of course, he is a perennial heel, uh, and he is quite the character. Probably most known for his mic work, not as known for his in ring work, right. but you got to sample some of that Michael Hayes fury between the ropes. Uh, I'm sure you've got a fun Michael Hayes story from this era. Do you know it? <laughs> oh, man. It's, 
Honestly, I didn't even remember working with Michael Hayes <laughs> in, in those matches. He had that great left jab. Yeah. He had uh, probably the best left jab in the business and the worst moonwalk. Like, I could never actually tell if he thought it was good. It was he does. Meant, he does think it's he good. He still does it, and he oh. thinks it's awesome. <laughs> and his pants will be falling down by the time he's three-quarters of the way through. It's fantastic. Oh, man. Shout out to Michael. Just had shoulder surgery a while back. Oh, did? Getting, I didn't know that. going again and feeling good. and Really glad to hear he's uh, doing well. But, yeah, big-time friend of the show. And uh, my dad, actually, as a kid, would mimic that strut around the kitchen. And it was just as bad as the one he Look, saw this TV. might be a controversial take, but it goes back to the time where Michael was – you know, he was greatly penalized for using that word, sure, the N-word. Sure. And uh, I, th- I know I've talked to Terry Funk about this in the car, but there's it's that there's no other word like it where part of the population can use it, the other part can't. And I firmly believe that Michael took so much pride in his standing in the urban community. Yes, that he thought he could use that word, and he can't. Right. And I don't know if anybody's ever paid a heavier fine. I'm sure there hasn't, but Michael paid. Oh, man, he paid financially, professionally, personally for that one word choice. And I left him a message, and I I said, I know you're not. He loved black culture. Yes. Still, he does all his shopping at the Urban Outfitters. Yes, he does. I know because there's a crossover between the Santa world and the urban world, and that, that's where the Santas go for like their formal attire. Right. Um, Michael really took a lot of pride in being that guy who appealed to that culture. And it, man, I just, I hate to see bad things happen to good people. Yes, well said. Michael's a really good guy. He's a great mind and one of the best promo guys ever. You know, uh, maybe the ring work wasn't his number one calling card, but he was able to go around and not only get heat everywhere he went, but draw money. They drew money everywhere they went, and there were a lot of buildings they had to fight their way out of. That's right. Because you know, uh, Buddy was scrappy and uh, Terry, Terry Gordy was a badass. A badass. But you got to be able to hold your 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 own when you're uh, when you're talking such a big game. And oh, brother, no one talked a bigger game than Michael Hayes. Well I don't know if there's been another Mike man like him. Uh, doesn't mean that there weren't others who may have been just as good, but he was he was an original and he was great and he's contributed mightily to WWE over the years. And much like MJF, he was good at it young. He was a good promo at 19. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of rare, one of the rarest talent of all in the wrestling business, Andre the Giant passes away here on January 27th. Uh, you grew up a WWF guy. Did mm-hmm. you ever get to meet Andre? I wrestled him. Really? Three or four times uh, for All Japan Wrestling. So there's a video out there, and this would be one of those matches where you're in a different part of the... Andre traveled with the Japanese. He was the only uh, foreigner who did and maybe there were others but i know on our trip he was the only one who did even the funks rode in the gaijin bus but andre uh traveled and 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 dressed with the japanese and so at the house shows you couldn't see him and so it would be me and another guy against uh andre and a guy you know i'm trying to think of who it was that we'd be against um uh, masafuchi okay. for example guys who had been stars and you know, knew their role when we were lower on the card. 
And it was great. They weren't great matches by any means, but you're just trying to listen and just trying to react more than you are acting. And then when it came time for him to drop that big elbow, this is where the the crowd, the respect the Japanese crowd is such a big thing of beauty because they're reacting kind of to what they, they know that what they're seeing doesn't look that great. Right. But they're paying tribute to it with their reaction. Because Andre, he wouldn't so much drop an elbow as he would go down to like an ankle and then an outer knee and then a hip and then the rest of his body would land on you and it still hurt, still took the wind out of you. So while they weren't great matches, they weren't horrible. And it was such an honor. I mean, how many guys of my era can say they work with him? Yeah, it's rare. You know, really, it's the guys, you know, for that last, uh, you know, WWE run that kind of ended with the quick 30-second matches with the Warrior. Right. And here I was able to wrestle him in 91 when he was uh, on his real on his last legs. It's amazing. Uh, early on in February, you sit down with Gordon Soley on a segment of WCW Up Close, and you're talking about your popularity with the fans and your feud with Vader and Harley Race and Orndorff. But Gordon Soley, man, one of these classic characters, yep. uh, really the voice of wrestling at the time. As a dean. Uh, did you... Did, did you... Um, did you grow up a Gordon guy? Did you see I, any you of his You know what? Stuff? I was late to the table because our local cable company on Long Island did not get Georgia Championship Wrestling. Right. We did not get the Superstation. So I didn't get to see Gordon until like mid-80s. Uh, mid uh, but I understood the history, loved the way he called the matches. He had his own cadence, and that's even... That's the most important thing is to stand out as an individual. I still feel like Jim Ross is the best to ever oh, call Oh, for match. sure. We agree. JR will say we're all playing for second, and that's great that he's paying that type of tribute to Gordon. I thought JR was the best. Gordon wasn't too far behind, and no he doubt. was great. And he was even great as a color man with JR, like as a broadcast team. The two of them calling the, the Funk Flair I Quit match is as good as it gets. So I understood the magnitude of having Gordon uh, interview me on Saturday night, February 13th, your mystery partner with the U S champion, Dustin Rhodes. And you're going to take on uh, Barry Windham and Paul Orndorff. And it ends with you assaulting Orndorff with a shovel. I mean, is this becoming part of your gimmick now or what? I guess it was, I guess, I guess so. Crazy thing. Uh, Conrad, as you see, like I recall some of the, I can remember every single thing that happened in some of the matches but you tend to remember the very best of what you did and the very worst. Yes. And a lot of good matches kind of get lost in the shuffle. Right. So I don't even recall these. I remember everything that happened in that uh, kickoff match with Orndorff. I remember everything that happened in a few of the matches with uh, with Leon. But these are all kind of, uh, so I'm learning as we go. I, I don't even recall having these matches with, Gold, with, uh, with Dustin as my partner. Sadly, on February 17th, Kerry Von Erich takes his own life. Um, another tragedy for the Von Erich family. Uh, of course, we talked at the top of the show about you being fortunate enough to work with World Class mm -hmm. after Jerry had uh, had a hand in that promotion. Talk to me about Kerry and what your impressions were of spending any time you did. Did yeah. you ever share a ring with Kerry? Yeah, I did. I did. I, um, I probably worked with Kerry at least a dozen times. Uh, when Jerry bought World Class, I mean, the boys, you know, could do as much or as little as they wanted. So I maybe only worked with Kevin two or three times. But Kerry was in there. We did, he did house shows. We did several tag team matches. 
uh, he was one of the first guys who took the cactus clothesline over the top. And that, of course, when the other guys in the dressing room see Kerry Von Erich taking the clothesline, staying there for the elbow, that makes it easier to convince other people to do it. But, but he wasn't what he wasn't then what he once was. Right. Although you look at knowing now what we did not know then, which is he was doing it without one of his uh, feet. feet. It was remarkable that he was able to get himself into that type of uh, ring shape. He went on. He had a classic with Lawler at, a, and this was when Kerry inadvertently tore his bicep open with a ton of blood. A, a ton of blood. He went to itch his finger. He had a sharp implement on his finger, and he looked down, and the thing was wide open. So Lawler worked a phantom gimmick. Not the same. Not the phantom not, balls. Not, we're not going to put that out there, although you did. Yes. So thank you for doing that for me. Uh, but as good and as legendary as Kerry was in the ring, what really made the impact on me was his kindness and his willingness to accept me as being almost an equal. Because I was young, this is really the first time that I'm calling matches with big stars. Eric Embry was the booker. He let me call the matches at the Sportatorium. Uh, at that point, you know, I, I broke in in 85, so I had three and a half years experience. And they're letting me call matches at the Sportatorium with them. Right. And so it was a great time of uh, growth for me and to work with Kerry and to have good matches with Kerry and to consider him a friend and to see the way he treated people. That was really a, a, a big deal to me. I think I've talked a little bit in the past about acknowledging when I wasn't treated the way I thought people should be treated, comparing it to the way I felt when I was treated that way, and right. just really vowing to be that guy who treats people the way I wanted to be treated. So we talked about phantom balls. Do you think Kerry, technically, by definition, had a phantom foot? Oh, no. I'm not tying those together. No, but, uh, I, I mean, when did you know? You didn't know I didn't when he wrestled. I didn't right? hear about it until he was in the AWA with Colonel De Beers. The Vegas incident. Yeah, the Vegas incident. Yeah. And I couldn't even put a time on that match. Uh, but that became a legendary telegram, telephone, tele-wrestler story, right? Right. But this is, I mean, Meltzer actually reported on it. Yes. Uh, it was so bizarre because he crawled underneath the ring and he came out with his boot back on. And that's where people started going, I don't think he's got a foot. Right. And that's where you started saying, wow, I haven't seen Kerry in the shower. But most people hadn't seen me in a shower either. Uh, but Kerry was trying, you know, was, uh, you know, there's, there's that old school feeling that you're less of a man without a, you know, without a body part. Um, I would almost go the other way and say, man, that becomes a hell of a story where you overcome that. It should have. Yeah. It should have. They should have played into that. They should have let people know that this guy's coming back. And they they didn't want to do it. Yeah. Didn't want to do it. But when he died, um, man, memory serves me correct. Kerry was caught forging a prescription or trying to put more on the amount than it actually was for yeah, and that's a, that's a that's a felony it's yeah. serious trouble and he was looking at doing jail time and i just don't think he could have uh <sighs> dealt with that uh you know his his girls were little when mm-hmm. he died so i spent some time in TNA with lacy and she's just a, a beautiful wow what a gorgeous woman absolutely right and uh, she's gone on to do really well i believe she's in real estate in california because when i reached out to her and told her 
I was doing my show in um, Dallas. She goes, well, Nick, I'm living in uh, uh, California now, but I think my mom and my sister would like to go. So they did. They came and uh, I remember how emotional uh, Lacey was when I told her that I still had one of the posters of her dad from uh, the PWI magazines. And I brought it in even though it was torn, you know, you could see where the tape had been and there were tear marks. And she got very emotional. She said she didn't have much of her dad's and she really appreciated that. That's awesome. So I, and I always appreciate whenever I see Kevin, we always talk for a long time, even though we just had those, you know, t uh, two or three matches. But I, I appreciated the history and loved working with people. And then again, on a personal level, when those people go on to treat you the way you want to be treated, it means even more. So if Kerry was nervous about showering because he didn't want to reveal he had a phantom foot, were you the innovator of the phantom balls? Conrad, I'm not going there okay. in the same okay. subject. All right, sorry. I'm not. I know we want to sell shirts. Well, no, I was just curious, like, <laughs> The phantom balls were Shawn Michaels. I'm with you, discovering. but why weren't you showering? Are you trying, I to, did you shower. trying to take Vader's I'm saying, title I'm saying, for stinkiest wrestling? I was a guy, you can tell how Mother Nature has treated someone by the way they use their towel on the way to the shower. Some guys would drape it over their shoulder, whereas I would have that thing tied as tightly as I could. <laughs> okay. Peek around, take one step in, and then throw it up over the thing. Got you it. Know? Yeah, there you go. Okay, I understand. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we go any further, Bill Watts is removed from power in WCW. We've covered that in the archives. But also Jim Ross, who was the vice president in charge of television, he's removed as a personality from all the TBS shows, and he's no longer going to be a part of the announcing team. He had been such a big part of the program, clearly a misstep by yeah. the powers that be here. Um, it was probably a mistake to let him go. He never looked back when he got to WWE, right. but as the guy who had been there and, and some of the um, beautiful lyrics he had put to some of the fantastic music you were making in the ring, did you view this as a big loss to have oh, Jim yeah. Ross? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, so many times when I was thinking of matches, I would think of Jim Ross's call of them. And I remember at the time they were acting like it wasn't a demotion. He was going to sell advertising. And I thought, this isn't. That's not him. That's He might have been part of what he did, but it wasn't who he was. Right. And the knock on Jim that he sounded Southern. Silly. Always sounded silly to me. Yes. Uh, but that was the decision that was made, and uh, Jim was missed, uh, you know, immediately. Fun little uh, footnote: your last match that he calls for you until you join the WWF is when you beat Mustafa Saeed years before he was the, one of the gangsters in under two minutes on TV, and you do it with a leg drop on the floor. Orndorff is going to join Jr. on commentary, and that's it for you two as a duo. Um, is this maybe the first most egregious thing that you saw the the new Bischoff regime do, where you think, man, I don't I don't know about these new changes with new leadership here? Because you had seen WCW under a few different bosses. Yeah, yeah. And as much as I disagreed with some of Bill's edicts, uh, I was a Bill Watts guy. You know, Bill liked me and used me well. I remember when Dallas called me up, bro, and he said, "Ding dong, the witch is dead." Still remember that early morning call. And he was way too positive even back then. Right. You know, I'm just trying to wake up, and here he comes with all that positivity. Bro. 
bro, bro, ding dong, the witch is dead. And then he goes, you'll never guess who's taking his place. I said, who? And he said, Bish. And I, I did a double take, like who? I didn't even know Eric was like- In the running. In the running. Uh, I think they wanted to get as far removed from that gruff, grizzled, you know, old school wrestling persona that Bill uh, was indicative of uh, and give it to somebody they thought was a better businessman with a different vision. And, he, you know, that paid dividends. Sure. Eric did wonderful things with that company. But I don't think I was a priority. You know, I don't think I was a priority. You know, you want to get your ducks in a row and... Um, Eric liked me. I don't think he saw me as being that. Ask him who he would have chosen to be his top guy, me or Sting. Yeah. He's going to say Sting in a heartbeat, yes. as yes. most people would. I appreciate you taking up that mantle for me, but I just disagree with he it. He wouldn't have picked Steve Austin either, though. Whoa. Just throwing it out Fair there. Fair play. Fair play. Uh, Super Brawl 3 in Asheville, North Carolina. It's the first major WCW show without JR on commentary, and it also features the return of Ric Flair to WCW also debuting on this show is Davey Boy Smith. And we have an incredible strap match between Sting and Vader. But you have a false count anywhere match with uh, Paul Orndorff. Uh, it goes 12 minutes and 17 seconds. Meltzer loved it, gave it four stars. And, uh, of course, you get the win with a shovel. It's like <laughs> before there were socks, there were shovels. Orndorf dominated with Jack taking well past insane bumps, including a suplex onto the bicycle racks, a sunset flip off the middle rope to the floor, a header over two guardrails, several chair shots to the knee after a brace was ripped off, an incredible performance by Jack. Probably, uh, match probably would have been even better. However, Orndorf forgot about five spots at the finish and they went home early, four stars. Now, the last line jumps off the page. Orndorff forgot about five spot. How would he know that? I don't know. Um, it's not like you're tattling. It's not like Orndorff's ca calling Dave. I, you know, the only thing I may have uh, divulged. I don't think Paul forgot anything. I will tell you first of all that uh, that was a match with the. The two guardrails. That's, he gets on Twitter all the time. It's, it's pretty mesmerizing. It's yeah. amazing. It doesn't matter how many times it's on there. It always does big numbers. Yes. Because, you know, there's no. How never, did you do it? Uh, I mean, I would do that kind of front handspring uh, into the seats on occasion. But then, you know, when you get to the, uh, the glass half full, when right. you start having more people, is you can't take those type of bumps because there are people in the seats. Uh, glass half empty, you have that thing, it's off your repertoire. So when I saw the way the ring was set up, I think it was just a call, reversal, and maybe, I don't know if the reversal of Paul with me in there, but I just thought I could go over both guardrails. And I think we've spoken before, is one of the benefits I have is I didn't look like a gymnast doing a right. routine. I mean, it was, and the suplex on the guardrail was crazy too. I think William Regal has said that's the wildest bump he's, you know, he's, seen me take or ever seen one or the other. The one thing I, I talked to Paul about, I said, I'm not going to make a comeback. Your reactions to my kicking out of what looked like sure pins, that will be my comeback. And Paul apologized to me afterwards. He didn't think he did it uh, definitively enough. But that was the idea. Nobody threw a tantrum like Paul Orndorff. Right. 
And I wanted that to tell the story more so, A, because I didn't have much of an offense in my repertoire, but I just thought the idea of Paul throwing the fits would mean more than any move that I could do. The disbelief that he would show that this guy was still hanging in there would be my comeback, which is some outside the box thinking, right? Right. Uh, It didn't work out, uh, but I don't think he forgot anything, uh, you know, he just may not have put as much into it as you know as 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 he could have, and he apologized for that for me. But it was still a really good match with some wild stuff in it. Jesse Ventura says here on commentary, Cactus Jack is the only wrestler I know who hurts himself more than he hurts his opponent. Yeah. What'd you think of Jesse on commentary? I like Je- I like Jesse. You know, I think Jr. has said the only thing about Jesse didn't he didn't do his homework because he didn't have to. You know, Jesse had the the great contract and Jesse's natural ten. You know, I think Jesse felt like he worked best without the preparation, and Jesse was great. And uh, and the, he ushered in the craze where everybody had to have the the heel announcer, which uh, didn't always work out as well as people hope. Is more often than not, the heel announcer would try to br- put business in their own hands and get themselves over at the expense of uh, the talent. But I did not think Jesse did that. I thought he was really good. And I thought it was an honor to be out there, you know, and have him call in my matches. Absolutely. We'll do a few questions here, and then we'll uh, wrap this one up. Grant McKenzie on Twitter wants to know, what did Mick think of the White Castle of Fear vignettes? (laughs) It, like the Beach Blast one with Sting, Bulldog, (laughs) Sid, Vader, and Harley, live on thanks to their unintentional comedy what was the locker room view about these? Oh, man. Well, they came in with the big budget for these mini movies, and it paid dividends when you had Jake and Sting doing the uh, spin the wheel, make the deal, which was a big financial success. Why they ever did a coal miner's glove match Stupid. in Philadelphia, I don't know. When there were so many other matches people would have loved to have seen, that made sense maybe in regional territories where there were coal mines, but right. that's not the entire country. Uh, but they were off and running and pointing to the effectiveness of that campaign as the reason why they should have uh, that in the budget. And I think after White Castle, Fear, and Beach Blast, they did away with those uh, big budget uh, promos. Uh, the White Castle, Fear, was a, that's a little ridiculous. A lot ridiculous. And the Beach Blast where... <laughs> Sid's got the flip-flops and Leah. A little person with a shark fan and a bomb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but at least they were trying stuff, right? One out of three, that ain't bad, right? Well, You'd be in the world, uh, uh, Major League Hall of Fame with a one out of three average. It's funny how context is king. Yeah. Like, it was presented as if it was real it was presented in a serious tone whereas when you were doing you know sock puppets and clowns (laughs) and balloon animals it was with a wink and a nod yeah yeah and as a result yours were hugely popular and ratings bonanzas and these are still kind of ridiculed it's amazing uh here's another great one Wrestling Match Study Podcast wants to know, what crazy ideas or moves did you want to do with Paul Orndorff that Paul said, man, are you a crazy son of a bitch? I'm not doing that. Did Paul shoot anything down? I don't think Paul did shoot anything down because I don't think anything was really that, you know, uh, it was uh, like mostly ground-based and rooted in realism. Right. So Paul wasn't a, 
and when I say spectacular, I say that as a knock, not as a compliment. Paul was, he was a very realistic wrestler. Yes. I, I never proposed anything that took him out of that strength. Right. So I don't think, I don't remember. He would say, are you sure? Right. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that I was okay with these ideas. Um, but I don't, I don't remember him shooting anything down. Brad Stanton wants to know, uh, did Orndorff work snug? The fact that I have to think about it means, means no. he probably didn't. He, I solid for sure. Yeah. Solid, but Not I don't, egregious. I don't remember ever thinking anything was out of line. But then again, I didn't think Leon's stuff was. <laughs> oh yeah. You're a crazy person. We forget. Uh, Scott wants to know, is there anyone you missed your chance to work with during your face run? Would there have been somebody that, man, I really wish I could have worked with that guy. Man, I had a. You got Vader. You got Orndorff. Is there somebody else? You know, Rick, uh, he pretty quickly became a heel. And I wish I could have worked with Rick. You know, I would have really welcomed that challenge. Uh, I. Man, I'd never, I never worked that pace that for that long a time. But I wish that's my answer. I wish I could have worked with Rick. I'm not saying I would have risen to that challenge, but I would have welcomed it. That would have been great. Uh, well, this is the last one, and this makes me laugh. Joey, the Tori Amos guy, wants to know what was a more <laughs> delicious match: the White Castle of Fear or the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match? We haven't talked about the Mountain Dew Pitch Black <laughs> yeah. match. Did you see it? I did not see it. Okay. I did not see it. Was White Castle, was that actually? No, it wasn't a little slider, but yes. <laughs> it, I mean. That was a promotional? It wasn't, but people certainly made that connotation. It feels like it's right there. It's begging for a sponsorship. How and Invader you... was cutting a promo over a, like, remember how George Foreman in the early 90s would do his press conferences with a plate of hamburgers? Yeah. Well, if they had Vader, you know, <laughs> you're taking my little cheeseburger sting. I feel no big burgers, no little ones neither. I mean, that would have been amazing. Like the strap matches over little cheeseburgers. Flavor crystal sting. Just like a White Castle burger, the beating I give you is going to stick around for a while. <laughs> okay, that's enough of our silliness this week. We'll be back next week talking about Stephanie McMahon. Yeah. Uh, your time uh, watching her grow as Vince's daughter <laughs> all the way up through working with her as Hunter's wife and then, of course, part of the authority. And we got a lot of great stuff programmed yeah. here in the coming weeks. The UWF with Herb Abrams, uh, Paul Bear, Sting, WrestleMania 14, your world title series with uh, Stone Cold at Unforgiven and Over the Edge, winning the TNA title, Owen Hart, and of course, later this year, the 25th anniversary of the Hell in a Cell. Ooh. And over at adfreeshows.com, you get early and ad-free access to all of these shows and more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts. It starts at just 9 bucks a month. You can listen to them directly through your regular podcast app. And you can enjoy the first week with us completely free. Sign up for a free trial and get a taste of what ad-free shows is all about at adfreeshows.com. While you're there, you'll see an interview with Gary Juster. You've probably heard that name a lot on our shows. How many interviews have you ever seen? Probably not that none, many. None. We've got it here. And we've also got a fantastic series called The Book, where we sit down with David Crockett, a member of Wrestling Royalty, and we go through his brother Jimmy Jr.'s Red books from the genius mind of Dusty Rhodes and the excellent penmanship of J.J. Dillon. We break down February right. 85 day by day. J.J.'s 
Penmanship was excellent? Excellent. Excellent penmanship. Better than my Santa penmanship? No one touches your Santa. Okay. I mean, you have it down pat. I think he was just writing very quickly. You can tell, man, you got those swirls, and you put a lot of effort in everything you do, including your live appearances, which you've got a few of those coming up. You want to tell us about that? I do. I've got uh, some conventions. I'm not, I'm going to, my goal for the live show, the one-man show, is to do one final tour in 2025 with the closing date coinciding with my 60th birthday. Wow. So we'll announce, we'll probably do a little test run of four to six shows in some part of the U.S. in uh, October, November, just to gauge the interest and then decide how big the tour will be after that. But I love doing these conventions. I really do. And people can tell when I'm posting photos that I have a genuinely good time. They're not for everyone. Right. They're really not for everyone. And uh, they, they didn't seem to be for me like in 2004, 2005. And then as time goes by, in my case, I realized how lucky I was to have had, to have people still remember me. And the idea that the crowds are getting bigger yeah. instead of smaller uh, helped in great part by the popularity of the Funkos. Uh, but people are, you know, they're digging down deep. The price has gone up a little bit. I still want to make it affordable, yes. but it's it's a decent dent in the budget. But I'm going to, um, let me see. Uh, WrestleCon for sure. WrestleCon for sure. I'll be there all four days. Uh, and Saturday night, after night one of WrestleMania, you and Mickey James are getting together for Dresselmania. Dresselmania. Right? That was, a, can I just, you, we'll talk about Dresselmania next week. Because sure. we could talk for another five minutes about how that came together. This sure. is one of those, I think, feel-good wrestling stories. Absolutely. Um, but I, I believe I have Louisiana. Um, I've got, uh, coming up in April, I've got the Huntsville Comic Con, I've got uh, a WrestleCon in Los Angeles, and you can just go to realmickfoley.com and see when I'll be coming to your neck of the woods. And there's another place you can go and get all things Mick Foley, Cameo. Cameo. Help me regain that, clown, that crown. Yeah. Wait, uh, you lost your crown? I lost the crown. Uh, this, did you know this? No. Oh, yeah. For after two years being the most requested wrestler or athlete, I have come in at number two. What? The, two what who? To who? Frank the Tank from Barstool Sports. He's not an athlete. He's an entertainer. I think other athletes in football and <laughs> baseball are looking at me and saying the same thing. Wrestler or athlete. And Frank the Tank, who's an entertainer, came in. Now, Frank's price is one-fifth of what mine is. Okay. But also, my price is like one-quarter of what Rick's is. And what, and you put twice the effort into all of those. I guys. do put a lot more effort yes. than, than almost anybody. Nobody comes through more. Yeah. When, when it, it matters it... less than this guy here, <laughs> Mr. In Your House, I'm still, uh, I was still the number one earner. Uh, for athletes or wrestlers, but Frank the Tank took the most requested crown away from me. So if you have a chance and you're out there and you want to make a man feel whole again. Yes. Yeah. I just celebrated a 45% off sale uh, before Valentine's Day with uh, uh, 45 uh, to celebrate the 4,500 reviews. And we'll do another one. We hit 5,000, which is 50% uh, uh, off. But until then... Brother, help a guy out. Let me get that title back. Where do they go on Cameo? Cameo.com slash Mick Foley. Check out some reviews, some past videos, and I think you'll like what you see. And you can see everything we're doing here on YouTube. It's Foley on YouTube.com. 
That's where you can see the fantastic shirt that Mick is wearing. It's available at foliuspodshirts.com. The now infamous Mr. In Your House t-shirt is there. It's the same one that Mick is wearing. Keep up with all things Mick Foley on Instagram at Real Mick Foley. I'm on Twitter at Hey Hey It's Conrad. And you can keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Foley is Pod. And we'll see you guys next week talking all things Stephanie McMahon right here on Foley is Pod. Have a nice day.